find myself today in Bramfontein at Constitution Hill, to be more specific, in what we are calling the I Madiba space. It's an area where we're having macro conversations in micro spaces, and we're focusing on the issue of youth unemployment today. The reason we're doing that is because South Africa has the highest youth unemployment rate in the world. And of course, we're having all the important conversations about job creation, but do we actually know how to go about creating those jobs? Well, it looks like the solution will lie in small to medium enterprises. I'm about to pick the brain of four young entrepreneurs who've really made a go of it in this field, and they're going to share their ideas with us on how to put a dent in youth unemployment. Really great to be with all of you today. Thank you so much for making yourselves available. Tulile Kanile, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. I'm uh, Tulile Kanile. I'm a lecturer at the University of David Batus Rand, and I'm a researcher there doing a PhD in HIV vaccine development. And I am also co-founder and co-executive director of a non-profit organization called Ngatuto Ejo Propeller. And it's basically a think tank of um, technology-based solutions conceptualized by high school learners that we then refine and develop further and um, initiates the commercialization of those technology-based ideas and solutions. Fantastic. Sounds like a wonderful initiative. We'll hear more about it in just a moment, Tuli. Sukhoji Sani. Hey, (laughs) Joanne. What's your background? So currently I'm wearing two hats. Uh, I'm the founder of a company called Legacy Technology Conferencing. What that company does is give global footprints to South African startups and SMEs. We've been running this for the past four years. And recently we found ourselves opening up a venture capital fund uh, to actually support entrepreneurs where we see they need it the most financially. So that's been running now. Yes. All right. Fantastic. Uh, sitting uh, to the right of uh, of Zuko there is uh, uh, Vere Shaba. Vere Shaba, what is your background? I am Vere Shaba, and I am the owner and CEO of Shaba Engineering and Green Buildings. And so, what we do is we specialize in sustainability with a focus on environmental, social, and economic sustainability. Right, brilliant. So you're taking quite a, a holistic approach there. We'll learn more about that in just a moment. Uh, Gugum Jaru, lovely to be joined by you. Tell us what you're busy with now. Uh, thank you so much, Joanne, for having me. I'm in marketing, so I'm here wearing the Sunlaman Business Partners hat because mm-hmm. Sunlaman Business Partners are collaborating on the Entrepreneur of the Year competition, which is where we celebrate entrepreneurs and we make sure that they are awarded for the great work that they do in the country. But my background is in youth development because I worked at Omsobombu Youth Fund for many years in communications, making sure that young people understand what products are there for young people to benefit from from government. And that's my background. I now work at Business Partners. We provide entrepreneurship finance from... 500,000. All right. So you're all very actively involved in getting the youth uh, into the economy actively and, and, and getting them to, to become part of the what should be the, the engine room, the powerhouse of the economy. Uh, Guga, I want to start by just asking you a little bit more about the symbolism of the space we're in. It's a beautiful space. It is situated on, on this lovely side of a Constitution Hill where history, the present and the future uh, are sitting side by side. Tell us more about it. I think for me, just sitting in this space, not just Constitution Hill, not just looking at the women's jail, but also just sitting in what is meant to be Madiba's cell. Yes. It is really touching in terms of you look at 
what he contributed to this country, but also how he challenges us as people to continue to contribute towards the country. So it's it's almost overwhelming in a way yes. because I, I I didn't feel it before, but now that I'm sitting and I'm like, this is deep. This is Madiba's cell. This is the little space where he would he would spend most of his time for yes. 27 years and here we are young people next to me myself as the older youth and yourself Joanne and we are saying <laughs> we would lunch. want to continue Madiba's legacy and would want to contribute towards South Africa a better South Africa that is growing so for me that's 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 what I feel in this space yes yes uh, you know you, you certainly write about uh, about the spirit that this discussion is is infused with so Vera let, let me start with you uh, because I, I want to look at some of the solutions that uh, that you as as young people are working towards and uh, we're entering a, fer- a period where uh, we're becoming far more environmentally aware we're aware of the damage we're doing to our planet uh, but we're also aware that there's there, there could be an interesting spin-off from this for young people, uh, taking us, building businesses into the future, taking young people into a future that I suppose the rest of us cannot even really imagine yet. Exactly. Um, I think that what I love about the green economy is that millions of jobs can be created for both unskilled and skilled youth. And also more than that, I think more and more youth are starting to be a lot more conscious, not only of their environment, but also of, as I say, like social sustainability, of economic sustainability. They're starting to ask the questions um, because we are inheriting this planet and our future generations are going to inherit the planet. So what mess, in a sense, are we creating for future generations and how can we not be the problem? Yes. Um, so what I've loved is that, I mean, I'm youth, I'm woman, I'm black. All of that's why, like, sitting in this space is amazing. Um, but what I found is that more and more people are starting to enter into this space because of the opportunities that exist within the green economy. You know, I, I really like uh, something that you mentioned earlier about your holistic approach because many people are looking at the green economy in isolation, isolation to people's lives, their their historical context and so forth. You're looking at it quite differently, aren't you? I am. Um, what I've found is that when you start mentioning the environment to certain clients, they really don't care. Like, they kind of get bored and their eyes glaze over. <laughs> when I say you're going to save money, by having an energy efficient and water efficient building, then suddenly they're like, okay, tell me more. Um, And then for certain people, when I say, you're gonna create more jobs, then they also start getting interested. So um, I do think that the spin-off is definitely there and that the green economy, it does make sense. Um, when you look at it from all the different aspects and saving the planet does make sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zuko, you've been dealing so much with the issue of technology and you've been trying to create this platform for youngsters where they can bring their their brilliant technology ideas and find an outlet for them. Uh, What's the caliber of ideas that is out there amongst youngsters right now? (laughs) So with the caliber of ideas, especially in the context of South Africa, um, I've realized that the entrepreneurs don't create South African solutions for South African problems. I think there's a there's always huge world trends that people try to follow. Yes. And I think that's really a mistake that we make as South African tech entrepreneurs. Um, and I, I really take them out into the bigger spaces or to greater ecosystems, into your Paris's, your Hong Kong's, to see what people on, on their par are doing. And when you look at their solutions in those different ecosystems, you realize that they created it for their environments. Yes. 
So I believe if South Africans could maybe take off their business hats and put on a problem-solving hat, um, there would be a lot. There would be a greater adoption to solutions that come out from from South African uh, entrepreneurs. So I, I think you know the caliber is is strong sometimes in the technology area. So from a technical uh, suited sound. But sometimes adoption is low because there isn't really a consumer base for it. So if entrepreneurs can think a lot stronger about who's the end user, can I really focus on them? Can I really make sure that I'm solving a problem for this South African individual? We have a very unique ecosystem in the way we travel, in the way we we eat, engage, in in the way we live our lives as South Africans. So if entrepreneurs could just focus on those key elements and and problem solve for that, I think we would have greater solutions coming out uh, instead of them trying to mimic a Facebook or an Uber but now try to think, what can I do as a South African for South Africa? Yeah. Tilly, I don't know how easy that is, right? Because I'm thinking of kids who are coming through a challenged public school system, most of them, uh, you know, who haven't really been conditioned to think either entrepreneurially or or indeed perhaps creatively, you know. How how do you stimulate that kind of thinking in young people? Very aligned to what you just said, Zugo, about a more problem solving based approach and that's exactly the approach we take at Ngatuto. So when we go to high schools, which is the market we work with, we say to them what problem is in your community. And we make very simple examples about how um, when your antenna, something is wrong with your antenna at home and your TV starts to distort, that becomes your problem. So what you do is you get outside and someone must move it. That's when you're starting to experiment. That's when you're starting to create because you're moving the antenna until it gets to a point where somebody must validate your troubleshooting and say, yes, that works. And then that becomes the solution to the problem that you're sitting with as a child. But when I say to children, look broader now. Look into your community and tell me what problems they are. And this is the research methodology tool that you're going to use. After they've done that, they're able to articulate, this is my problem, I understand my problem, my neighbor also has this problem. In fact, my whole community has this problem. So then we start to say, how many more people, in addition to you, have that problem? Then when we're done with getting them to understand create then we say to them now that you've created the solution how do you then create a business model around it what is the user case here who's going to buy it how are you going to sell it to them how are you going to reach them how are you going to package them you package this thing that you're saying you're going to sell to these people and at the level of high school they don't have some of the disappointments that we've incurred <laughs> as adults. As, as adults. So, so the solutions uh, that they come up with are as arbitrary as creating a machine that's going to fix old clothes. You just put in the clothing and then it fixes it and then you can recycle it and give it to someone else. So you're saying that their creativity is unfettered at this stage of it's their lives? unfiltered. It's there's no blinkers on them. They yeah. just say what they want. And you can then start and work backwards from there. And also letting them know that actually that machine that you're talking about, okay, maybe might not make sense so much, but I want you to understand the value chain of creating cotton, the value chain of creating wool. From there, then they're able to create more concise and more feasible, more sustainable solutions. You know, Google, I'm... I'm 
I'm intrigued by what uh, Tuli has just said because she's talking about creativity and I know a lot of you are working in the tech space, right? And the tech space requires a certain level of skill, uh, acumen, perhaps, uh, you know, studying as well, you know, the, the academic aspect as well. But but what Tuli's tapping into is just pure creativity and the, the inclination toward innovation. Definitely, uh, Joanne. I think the reality is, and I would take it even a, a step below and say, as parents, it's such a huge responsibility Mm -hmm. to nurture this creativity, but to nurture also the curiosity in kids. And you know, if you have a child, you know that they will ask you about why, why, why. And we give up because we we want to move on. I'm tired. I'm coming from work. But the reality is that's where ideas come. That's where you start encouraging someone to look beyond their circumstances, but also provide solutions in the home and move on to high school and be able to engage and talk in in, in an environment where you are teaching each other, but and then come up with ideas. And I think I read a research recently from Reuters Thompson, which was saying, actually South Africa, and as Zuko was saying about which is social entrepreneurship. South Africa is conducive for social entrepreneurship because we have all these problems that we face as a country. You look at Alex, you look at many other areas. But if we can think creatively on how and what solutions we can bring to the table, that's when we're going to be creative and not come up with Facebook, but come up with Alexandra like (laughs) solution, come up with my small town Ginginlovu solutions because that's what we need in the country. We don't necessarily need big and not everyone is going to be that unicorn that's going to be so successful everyone will be talking about it but everyone can make a difference right so so very uh, what, part of what i'm hearing is that um exposure in a way is quite important exposure to to creativity exposure to ideas uh, exposure to people who can help you develop those ideas but i'm thinking particularly with regard to what you are doing in the green space i mean not so long ago it would have been thought such a bourgeois thing to talk about <laughs> recycling, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so how, how does a black child growing up in Alexandra Township, for example, who hasn't been exposed to any of that, learn about this and start thinking about it as a possible career path for them? I would say that the green economy is something that isn't completely new to South Africa. I think it only started to come to the forefront in 2008, right. where we now started to put a name to it with the ESCOM and load shedding, and people suddenly realized that they needed to have energy security. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've seen is that we've always really been sustainable, and it's what is called indigenous knowledge systems, mm-hmm. where, for instance, when I was younger and it was hailing outside, my mother would say, go outside with a bucket and collect the water. And we probably would never use it for anything. But the whole idea of saving and making sure you recycle your waste, it's always been something that's entrenched in us. I mean, I was wearing my sister's uniform for years. Yes, like, yes. We, didn't just, we, we didn't just throw it away. Yeah, like, we wore shoes until they, were, yes. until they were finished. Yeah. Um, and so I think that all of us do understand green. And what I found we need to try figure out more is contextualizing it in terms of all of those indigenous knowledge systems, things like rammed earth, which is clay, Things like those that we've always been using, which is sustainable, it has insulating properties. How do we now merge that with technology Mm. 
And how do we now just use technology to scale up the efforts that we've already been making in the green economy in South Africa? So, go. It's, it's a difficult thing because uh, a lot of the kids we want to give an opportunity to yeah. are not going to to have the level of skill required to implement some kind of uh, advanced technological app, whatever it is uh, the, the, uh, that, uh, that uh, can be uh, grown into a business in the long term. How do you upscale those kids to the point where they've got a brilliant idea in its raw form, but, but it needs some kind of structure, it needs some kind of formalization, and they need some kind of input to, to bring their skills up to a particular level? Look, this is a, a debate I have um, quite often, even had with now with Tuli. It comes back, obviously, to the education system. Yes. What is the foundations that is coming into the children right now? And uh, why hasn't it changed for so long? You know, my mother can do my sister's homework, who's 15 years old. How is the curriculum still the same, 40 years apart? Yes. So it comes down to this child is unable to complete or create an app or create something that they want to create simply because we don't emphasize on children being able to uh, sustain or go to the, the fullest of their creativity and um, uh, also make sure that they, they have a skill set that can support that creativity. Um, you know, you have your English and then your maths, but then now very importantly, as mentioned by uh, President Cyril Maposa in the SONA, is that now uh, coding and design thinking is going to be implemented from primary school. Right. And these are very, not even um, foresight or, or futuristic thinking. It's, it's a need at this point in time. Because yeah. if you want to express yourself fully as an individual um, and, and solve your own problems that you see around you in your community, we now are in a, in a space where everyone is depending on somebody else to support them. So I get a lot of people that approach me with ideas and say, please, uh, um, I'll, I'll give you half the equity if you can just get someone to code this thing for me because yes. I've got a brilliant idea, but I can't express that idea right. simply because I don't have the skills nurtured in me and actually taught. So, I mean, if we can have this generation and, and hopefully we're going to see this plan through that has been mentioned by the presidents, um, where kids will now be able to now, you know, offset their own creativity and, and build and design uh, the things that they want to do. Um, so it's unfortunate that maybe it skipped us, Yes. And we cannot support um, individuals now. I mean, if I wanted to come up with a crazy idea, I, I wouldn't be able to code it. And, you know, it's, I went to university, you know, I had the privilege of doing that. But still, even within that university knowledge, it has not prepared me enough to create uh, something that I, I would like to offset into an app or into a big company. So um, we can only hope that the following generations do not have the same challenges as we do now, uh, where they have a huge dependency on everybody else to support them and their business uh, uh, you know, acumen, but now we'll be able to actually develop something on their own. So I hope that independence does come into our country. Yeah, yeah. it's a tricky one, uh, Tuli, because <laughs> because it means we have to wait for this this generation to come up, yeah. you know, to, to be able to develop this technology. Technology is moving so fast uh, that, you know, keeping up is going to be an issue. But I know that at Wits University, as, as they're doing at many other tertiary institutions, there are bridging efforts to, to try and get kids up there. How, how do those work and, and have those been successful so far? Um, so from a university, um, from a university's perspective, well, I think what, what the university does mostly to do that within higher grades is to partner with students who would then tutor um, maths or tutor science or uh, partner with uh, the, the Excom Science Expo, for example. So the university itself, when they have, um, 
university-run programs designed to impact kids, what they will do is try to put in some first-year um, content into that curriculum. So, right. uh, for example, the top learners in uh, Gauteng will be convened at uh, the university in a program. And instead of just teaching them the maths that they learn at school, they then also uh, include some higher level differentiation that they would only have to do in first year. But I, again, that's like for that select um, cohort that right. has the aptitude yes. as per the marks that they've gotten. Because that's another thing. The way yeah. we, we, we grade sometimes <laughs> yes. the way we grade sometimes results in who gets and who doesn't get an opportunity but the university partners with a lot of people a lot of different organizations to be able to uh, increase mostly its visibility to attract the right talent to the university because that's the point right? right you want to expose those learners to the university environment so that they come into the university but that's also not something that is um, readily available yeah. to, yes. to, to everyone so add know? on to that um, I, I think, you know, with the bridging courses that actually take place within tertiary institutions, they always focus, you know, on the social. How do we now uh, shape this individual to fit the society that, you know, we want to prepare them yeah. for? Yes. But, you know, we, we're doing some work at, at Legacy with a major telecom company who has now asked us the question, how do we shape our organization to actually take these individuals in? How do we now create a, a work environment where it retains the individuals that we're bringing in? Because we want their minds, but we haven't been able to create an environment in a culture that really, you know, wants them to stay and makes them feel like they belong. Yes. So I, I believe the question also works in reverse and looks at we look we should look as South Africans at enterprises and say, how do we now think about changing our work environments mm. to stop wearing the ridiculous suits and ties yes, and yes. and now what do these kids want to wear? How do they want to engage within the workspace? Because I mean, like from university, we, we're geared and shaped to walk into a society and an environment where we understand the right race, we, you know, we can move as, as the ants and, and go and, and do our day-to-day -day chores. But if, if we can now rethink as enterprises from the top down, if we create a culture where these individuals feel retained, they feel protected, they feel that this, this culture is for them, not against them, would it not then create you know, a stronger uh, bottom line for you at the end of the day? So it's, it's always a funny question to say, you know, how are we preparing the, the kids to come into the space? Yes. But we're never talking about how we're changing the space, the space. to make it more acceptable and, and inviting for the people coming into it. Yeah. And if you are in corporate, it's very, sorry, John, it's, it's very important that people coming in don't just fit in because fitting in means there is no innovation. Yes, You're just yes. continuing what everyone has been doing all along. Right. So I think you're raising a very important point, Zuko, in terms of let's make sure that corporates are ready to receive the millennials, the next generation, yes. the, the, the generations that are going to change how we do things. How would you digitize your corporate environment if you are not necessarily allowing yourself to say, I actually don't know. I'm your CEO, but I actually don't know. And I need you to guide me in terms of how I, 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 can, I, I, I can help you to innovate better. Yeah. But I think also what you spoke about requires collaboration between corporates, between communities, because and between government, because you spoke about um, at university level, yeah. 
that there is no, like, it, it's not very easy necessarily to then go into a community. But there's lots of civic, like, society organizations that yes. are out there that yeah. are doing great things, that are trying to get young people who are unemployed, trying to get high school learners to actually improve their skills. They are companies that are actually supporting robotics in townships mm. but who is sponsoring them so that they yes. can spread it because it's not going to happen just by waiting for government to just sponsor it or teach it in schools yes, yes. there's already that gap in our south african environment where people have left their metric or they dropped out who, what are we doing about those young people who are not necessarily in the work environment, those who are discouraged and are not yes. able to look for employment. Right. And so, so you, you have mentioned two important things there, uh, I think, Gugu. And, and the first, of course, is uh, exactly what, uh, what uh, Tudi and, and Zugu has been, have been referring to, which is a, a sort of, I think, just turning the system on its head, really. Uh, Vele, I mean, how do you feel about that? Uh, the corporate environment is a very prescriptive one in terms of how we dress, how we behave, how many hours a day we work. <laughs> exactly. um, you know, yeah. 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 The world's changing. It's not yes. always going to be like that, is it? What I would say is that, to be honest, my career didn't exist 10 years ago. Wow. When I went to varsity and I was doing mechanical engineering, we were being taught, first of all, like I do agree with changing the curriculum, because we're taught, for instance, in how we design, we use a standard called ISO 7330, yes. which is based on white European males, which is why a lot of the times in South Africa, people are freezing in their offices. <laughs> because, and it's a small thing, it's very small, but that's how I was taught as a mechanical engineer. And so when I then graduated and I started to focus on green buildings, um, and that was only because of international exposure with an international multinational firm. Um, that's when I started to ask questions about a lot of the things that we've been taught because we're also not taught to design with sustainability in mind. Yes. Um, we're not taught to digitize solutions. We're not taught these things. Um, and so what I would say is that we do need to turn the system upside down. Um, what I've just found is that, because I've traveled to quite a few countries outside of South Africa as well, mm. Nigerians don't wear suits. Mm. They go to their meetings and they don't care. Like they yeah. wear what they, what is contextualized to their environment and to their climate. Right. Mm. And I think that the more we start focusing on how do we contextualize our corporate society, how do we solve problems that are specific to South Africa, like what Zuko said, I think that's when we're going to start finding more solutions and more job opportunities. Because how many other things do not exist right now but will exist in 10 years, like green buildings? Tell me a little bit more about this, because you said at the very start of our discussion that the green economy has made way for both skilled and unskilled youngsters. And I'm very interested in that because we have, we have a whole generation of, of kids who are not completely literate, not completely uh, numerate, uh, and, and yet they have the ideas, they have the, uh, the ability and the aptitude to learn how to do these jobs, right? So, so how do we bring them in and, and ensure they're not disadvantaged by what they haven't been able to receive in terms of education? I think one of the best things to do is to have public sector, private sector and, and research institutions work together a lot more right. because what I found in terms of the green economy is a simple example like solar panels. When one puts solar panels on the rooftop, they need to be maintained. Someone needs to come in and actually like make sure that it's working as intended. Even understanding 
the solar panel system, integrating it to the digital um, system that a building would have. That's something that someone can learn. Right. Um, now, for instance, my brother's actually doing data science. Yeah. He's got a metric. He's in a program where they're just training a lot of people how to do machine learning because that's also something that one can just, one can learn these yes. things. And yes. it's a year course. But already he's making me scared about the fourth industrial revolution <laughs> because now he comes back and he's like, yeah, someone can do what you're doing. We can get a machine to do what you're doing. And I think that that's it. <laughs> is that I think a lot of the times all of these degrees that are four years, you can probably condense it, make it a lot more practical. And we need to stop looking down on universities of technology. Because people come with an, a diploma or BTEC and people say, no, nah, it's not so good. I think that's outdated. Um, I think that every person has a part to play and that we just need to allow people to just pursue where they see the problem is and just go for it. Right. But we're also, Zuko, we're up against the clock here. Yeah. We need to grow this economy yesterday. Yes. And, and uh, the, the degrees that, uh, that many of our, our leaders would like to see our children graduate in yes. are medical degrees that take seven years to complete. And sure. Let's face it, we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> yeah. How do we condense the learning into a shorter space of time and still have highly qualified youngsters who can do the job? Do you have kids, Jad? I have one, yes. Do you, has he told you or he or she expressed what they want to do? No, uh, because, I, I don't know, it seems to me that uh, the world is her oyster, you know. She's, yeah. she's thinking of a hundred different things mm. that she wants to do, whereas I thought of one career path yeah. and, and, and my, my thoughts were really limited in sure. that regard. So my beliefs, especially about speed, I think, you know, I take a, a practical stance to this and this is how I live my day-to-day -day life, is obviously move as fast as you can, you know, on the micro sense of things, but on, yes. on the macro, be patient. I think um, I'm, I'm still young and I'm still going to obviously grow and, and, and experience business and um, hopefully impact uh, and continue to uplift. And that's what I think, you know, our focus is always about, about empowering. But um, I, don't, I don't think the, the response is to rush a solution. Yeah. I don't think the response is to now rush a change in curriculum. Um, my response to that would be looking at some of the case studies I've seen in different spaces uh, where there's such a thing called a tech campus, right? Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I always hate that I revert back to digital as you know, the solution. But we, the digital economy is going to be the economy. So if we, yes. if we can accept that, things will move a lot more uh, uh, seamlessly. So a tech campus, essentially, uh, there's one I saw in Paris called Station F. You have, it's broken up into three divisions. You have one division where individuals collaborate, they build, and um, they, they actually make um, products, apps, solutions, whatever it may be. Right. In the second space, you have your large venture capital firms and your um, market access partners. It could be banks. It could be um, management um, consulting companies. It could be anybody that can provide market access. And the third space, it's more residential, living, and, you know, more social. And what I love about this ecosystem is that all under one roof, you know, where you eat, sleep, poop, you build solutions, yeah. you take it straight to the market access partner. So you go directly to Sandam and you say, I heard you guys are looking for a solution like this. You knock on the door, you don't wait five months to get a response for, from her email because yeah. Google is, you know, going through um, uh, inflated email uh, mailbox. mailbox yes. Yes. You know, you go directly to who you need to engage with and you say, are we ready to deploy and, and partner on this thing? Can you help me go to market with this thing? Can you help invest into the solution. 
So my answer is similar to what Vera was saying about trying to rather bring stakeholders closer together yeah. and actually in a physical geographic yeah. space where they can access each other a lot simpler. So, I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're always looking for someone to invest in you. You're always looking for someone to help you to go to markets. And if they were all under one roof, it would be a lot more simpler. So I think the solution is not to change or burn down UCT, but maybe build a new institution where everybody actually coexists. And then, you know, Vera builds, I support in terms of taking it to market. And we've created one big... Um, family in, yeah, in a sense. The big happy family <laughs> to, be more, to be more precise. Yeah. You know, you, you are mentioning something that Google mentioned as well and, and so let's explore that with you a bit Judy and this is the, the idea that uh, it, I think you mentioned Google uh, that NGOs are already doing some of the work that's required in this regard and so we don't need to duplicate these processes, right? We can create a chain as Zuko is suggesting. Um, is there a movement towards that, Julie? Or is there an awareness that, that you can bring all the walls down, actually, and bring a whole lot of people from different disciplines together to, to see it through to the end? Do you know, it's a, that's an interesting question, and it's so relevant to where our nonprofit organization is right now, because yeah. we're, we're in a space where we've specced some of the technologies that the kids have come up with and we're prototyping. Right. So when you prototype, you need a grant. Yes. Now, now, if you're going to get a grant, you need somebody to sign on that grant. Mm -hmm. And if the government is giving you the, the grant, they think it's a minor. They don't want to sign with the minor. Mm -hmm. So then they have to start signing with the parent. The parents won't even understand the this legal jargon. Yes. You understand? And the NPO has to come in and say, okay, we'll take proxy to make decisions for the learner and we'll import a technical. So we have to go and find somebody with technical experience because the kids aren't able to do it themselves now. Yes. Again, you must collaborate with someone else that's going to come in and say, okay, I know how to develop this thing. Right? And then you have to negotiate about IP. Then you need legal. So it's right. one case, but you need to have that ecosystem running. And ideally, you want it to be under one roof, but in the absence of the resource to put it under one roof, you need to create an ecosystem where everybody is also aware of the different challenges that come with giving me a grant when I'm working with a minor, you know, that yeah. come with giving me a grant when the person I'm working with is in a township area mm -hmm. where they actually don't even have proper Wi-Fi and I have to input, I have to take the data there, yes. you know, so if we could partner more smartly yes. about how we can take certain things to the places where they are needed as opposed to having to uproot a whole community or a whole school of kids to a place where there's connectivity because the demand for the schools, there's so many of them. So we need to create an ecosystem that is aware of all the different players, what the different players are, 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 are capable of, yes. what they bring to the table, what challenges they have, who can fix that challenge? Because while we're creating ecosystems as well, when we engage with the private sector, or when the private sector engages with us, there's a perception that I'm going to have this, the answers to the problems that you're presenting to me. Yes. And I also have the perception that as private sector, you're going to have the answers. No, we don't have the answers. We're entering into a space that's never been before. Yeah. So then we have to conscientize each other listen to each other better and try to find a common language because some of the challenges that we face in building technology-based companies is that we don't understand each other's language. Mm -hmm. So when I speak to government, it's a, the impact is 
very different to the private sector. Yes. Private sector, that investor guy cares about ROI, return on investment, that's what he cares about. The government wants to know what are the numbers. Mm. You know, so it's a very different language. Yes. So we need to be able to understand when we're building these ecosystems, what language we need to speak. To speak. So beyond understanding your user, understand who's going to help you get to your user and how you need to communicate with that person. Because the language that we speak is very different. School doesn't teach us how to negotiate, but we negotiate <laughs> yes. every day. Yes. As soon as you step yeah. out of uh, high school, you negotiate every day. But we're not taught negotiating. Yeah. We're not taught how to listen to what another person wants. So those are the kind of life skills as well that we need to have or to have that impede our growth and, and uh, the rates at which we can get these technologies that are relevant and fit for purpose into the market. So the ecosystems... That's what we need. Yeah. More awareness, yeah. more understanding, more patience as well. Because we're not, we're not necessarily like other countries where they're already in generation five yeah. of innovation. We're in generation zero, generation one. You know? So I still need to explain to my mom how she must make a story on Instagram. I don't know why she likes <laughs> doing that, but I need to explain that to her. Do you know yeah, what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's, we need to just be more patient with each other and understand each other's challenges, understand each other's context, understand that because Tuli grew up in a suburb area, but Andy there is growing up in a township, their circumstances are completely different. Mm. So the language that we use when we're in this school versus this school is different. Mm. You know, that, that brings me to the question of, of what the needs of uh, SMEs or SMMEs are. And, and Guga, I want to pick your brain on this. I've been having this discussion with, for, for so many years about growing small businesses. And one of the main complaints used to be red tape, right? Bureaucratic red tape. Or I don't know how to draw up a business plan and that's what the bank mm. requires of me. I think we've moved beyond that now. I think right? so. so. So what are the immediate needs? And I'd like to hear individually from all of you what you think SMMEs, particularly those run by young people, require right now. You know, I'll start maybe a bit further back okay. and say we have a small a department of small business development, for instance. And I don't think necessarily that we have data that is correct mm -hmm. or that is relevant or that is like current for us to make any sort of decisions. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to entrepreneurs, because we talk to them every day yes. in, in, in my experiences at business partners funding entrepreneurs, but the reality is they'll talk about money. We need money. We need markets. That's most important for young people, markets. I need somebody to mentor me yeah. to make sure that I, I benefit from that opportunity. But once I've benefited from that opportunity, that market access, who's going to make sure that I'm paid on time? Mm -hmm. And this is not a government issue. This is like the private sector. Everyone pays late. Yes. And, and we, we just don't understand the impact of paying a, a small business late. So what I would then say is, from a small business development perspective, we need to get data that's going to be usable that other people can apply, so other government departments can apply and say this is how we're going to assist from an energy perspective when we support businesses. But we now also have a, a department, and I'm, I'm very hopeful, women and youth, right? Yeah. For a very long time in this country, I think youth development has taken a backseat. Yes. And yes. I think there was a time when young people were out there and... 
perhaps it was political. There were many young people in the youth league who were pushing for certain agendas. But you, like youth development, has taken a backseat, and with an introduction of a minister that's looking at youth. We're very hopeful, I think, as the industry that supports entrepreneurs, that there will be somebody who's coordinating all the supports that's available to young people, but also influencing policy. Where is the updated national youth policy? What needs to be done so that we're implementing a strategy that's yeah. coming from research that's been done? What does South Africa need yeah. for young people to go further? We, 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 it's coming from different directions, but there's no one who's yeah. been coordinating that. So I'm quite hopeful with those two departments. So I haven't quite answered your question because I'm, I'm talking about different a, things. Yeah, yeah, but, but I see I how you're getting there. The, the yeah. reality is finance remains a challenge, yeah. but it's not just any finance because we provide 500,000 upwards. But if I'm an informal like a, a young person in the informal sector, I really don't need 500,000. Yeah. I just need 500 rands or 5,000 rands to actually buy stock and start selling. Yes. And how do we then have people who provide that type of microfinance? Mm -hmm. And that's the finance that we need at grassroots level. And I think even for the rural economy, the township economy, those are the amounts that you should be talking about. And we need to make sure that is available to, to, to those people. But then we also need to make sure that we link them up with market li like markets yeah, and make so, sure so that they can access. sell their products. But yeah. when uh, my, my learned panelists talk about <laughs> technology, technology can apl be applied in the informal sector. Yeah. Because when I'm walking in town and I'm buying fruit, Sometimes I don't have money. So I end up not buying because actually, instead of you giving me like your code to swipe my card, you're saying I should go and withdraw and come mm -hmm. back with my 50 rands. Yes. And then I'll end up going to a shop in town, like in the suburbs, because I really don't have time to come back unless I'm really passionate about supporting your business. Yes. So I think we need to look at that access in terms of markets, but also support those up-and-coming entrepreneurs with how do we use technology to get them up to standard and make them progress even further? Okay, well, Google yes, has answered it entirely. Um, <laughs> yes. What I would say is that access to markets. So I would say if someone had to ask me, do I want access to markets or access to finance? Mm. I'd rather say access to markets mm. because clients are your best form of funding. Yes. Yeah. And so you generate that once exactly, you've got exactly. And also that also helps in terms of your portfolio. It helps in terms of getting more projects. So I remember when I started um, my business for the first year, I tried to get funding. But then there's no market validation. Who's your market? What are you doing? And I'm black woman, youth, South African in engineering. Yes. So one would assume that I would have gotten funding. And so after that happened, I realized that actually if I just get a client, then I'll be able to start self-funding my business. And four years later, I've only self-funded my business. I've never gotten any debt financing. Wow. Um, and so what I would say is that if one just gets access to markets, specifically in South Africa, and in some instances that does, that does need to be engineered, so in the sense of um, there's still a little bit of prejudice sometimes when it comes to different entrepreneurs. Um, one needs to get credibility, but the market is not always welcoming. Mm -hmm. 
to newcomers. Yeah. And so here and there, it's actually being mindful and saying, hey, I'm actually going to buy from that woman-owned business or I'm going to support that woman-owned accounting firm um, or engineering firm. But I think it's actually being mindful and conscious of our own purchasing decisions and not only as individuals, but as larger corporates. So I'm really lucky to have a corporate who said, hey, you know what? We see that you haven't yet done this project, but it's the cycle of you haven't done the project. Therefore, we can't hire you. Therefore, you haven't done the project. And they're like, we're going to break that cycle. And it's a large, like listed property firm. But that's the kind of decisions that we need people to start being conscious of when they're making those decisions. So I would say access to markets. And then I would say access to technology is so important. Um, I'm always very curious, and maybe tech friends can help me, how we can send a man to the moon, but we don't have access to Wi-Fi in Africa. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, I think internet access changes almost everything, from accounting to learning more about business. Um, And also, if we go a step further beyond even just edtech, if you look at clean tech, for instance, I do believe that solar panels installed in, in informal settlements, townships, can power a Wi-Fi lab, it would power an internet access, that would power the opportunity for someone to register a business and learn how to run a business. Yes. Um, so I do feel that it's just kind of thinking out of the box and contextualizing it, specific to South Africa, but it's about access. That's the biggest thing that we need as SMEs in order to move our businesses forward. There are lots of amazing problems that are getting solved by SMEs, but we're self-funding it. So imagine if I wasn't able to self-fund, where would my business be now? Um, So, yeah, that's the main thing that I would say we need. All right, so Zuko, what do you think are the immediate needs of SMEs right now? Sure, I'm going to respond in two parts. I think... um, the one speaks for the SME and then the one speaks against it. Mm. So in the first part, I would obviously say that um, SMEs need space, and I mean physical. Mm-hmm. So if we can create spaces where SMEs that don't have the money to pay the obnoxious amounts of, of rental space yes. could actually come into a space where there's Wi-Fi, there are facilities for collaboration and um, actually just building. But I mean, the, the free spaces is what we need in South Africa. We need free space for SMEs to actually come in and, and collaborate and build and deploy. Can I, can I just ask you on that question of space? Right. Does it matter a lot where those spaces are? It does. It really does. And um, so what's happening in, with the co-working space, especially in Johannesburg, is that a lot of it is obviously coming into the, the big districts. So you have lots of options and from your Sansons, to your Banks. Yeah. Um, Babu Neng has started to be more conscious of uh, movements as well. But I think when you want to talk to the market, mm-hmm. it is very important to be at the market. Yes. So for me, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm not sure if it comes from a lack of apathy, but... I think the spaces do need to be close to where they can actually get the market access that Vera is speaking about now. So those spaces need to be, as I'm saying, close to to where they would actually be wanting to do business. Um, The second thing I wanted to say for the entrepreneur, on behalf of the entrepreneur, is that, you know, we need to also find ways to give them presence online as well. Mm. So, you know, Legacy has now thought and we're in action now of donating 10,000 websites to SMEs for free, register a domain and um, as well as just giving them a platform. So if you want to do e-commerce, if you want to do a blog, if you just want to be present on the web and actually own your own space on the internet, we believe that's the best thing we can do for entrepreneurs is not donate in funding, but give them an opportunity to actually stand alone as an individual or company and, you know, represent themselves or do, you know, to the best of their capability. Mm. On the second lens that I want to speak about is that 
I think, you know, entrepreneurs just like to bitch and moan about how there's no access to finance, there's no access to market, but and they'll run straight into an investor and say, please, can you back me with X amounts of millions or money? Mm-hmm. But be it the entrepreneur actually just focuses on the customer, I think that's where the solutions actually come. So if you're creating something, the first thing or thoughts or chain of thought you have should not be, where can I get the money to back this idea? But how do I get my hands dirty? And what's the minimal viable products that I can create that I can sell to Dryad now, mm-hmm. make some money, and then get to my bigger solution that does need the millions? And then from there, you'll find, you know, greedy VCs like myself and say, can I have a piece <laughs> of this and, you know, try get you as cheap as possible? But the challenge is stop going to look for facilities to, you know, find your great scheme idea. Uh, but look for an opportunity to actually create a small products or something that you can actually take to market as, as quick as possible. And I think it goes back to Google's points about how do we find um, this um, the micro-funding, micro-lending tools yes. uh, to also the unbanked. I mean, the micro-lending tools don't really make sense if no one can really access them, the people that really do. Mm-hmm. So if we could work on the micro-lending side of things and we can actually get entrepreneurs to have a little bit of money and capital to start with small ideas, then create bigger ideas, and then get to the spaces of funding, etc. I think that's really where the, the solutions would get mapped out. But if we can give anything to entrepreneurs today, free of charge, I would say it would be space and a presence mm-hmm. online. Right. Tuli, what's your take on this? Um, sure. Um, being the last person to ask to answer the same question is tough. <laughs> um, but listening to to everyone, I definitely agree. Um, but what I want to perhaps add is that each and every entrepreneur, depending on what stage of the game they're in, needs something different. Mm-hmm. And depending on what skill sets they've got, they need something different. So I suppose the question is, what is the, the, the toolkit or what is that basket that we should have available for entrepreneurs who are at different levels of where they want to be? Yes. Um, what must it have in it for them to be able to pick out of? So, for example... I could be in a township and that could be my market. I'm sitting in it. Yes. And and I may not need access to it because I have it, yes. you know. But perhaps I just don't have the amount of money that I need to buy the multiple units that I need to sell, you know. Perhaps um, I know where my market is, but I can't reach them. And perhaps a website is not going to work out. Perhaps what's going to work out is that I actually go there and put things up on the wall and say everyone must come to a stadium so I can talk to them and exhibit my products to them. So I think that if I have to give advice to an entrepreneur, it's be clear about what you need and when you need it and map out what you're going to need when Mm -hmm. so that before you need it, you can start trying to get it, whatever it is you need. Um, In the technology space, unfortunately, to build that dirty prototype, if it's not going to come from recycled material, you need money. Mm. And you just need it, like Zugo was saying, you just need it to to show functionality. When it shows functionality, people usually give you what you need to build the nice one that you can sell. Right. Right? But I think what I'm trying to drive home is that all of it is necessary at different times for different entrepreneurs. Mm. If we have that basket, an entrepreneur can pick out that's what I need. So that's what companies and organizations that support entrepreneurs need to do. Don't offer one 
solution to all entrepreneurs. They don't all need that solution that you think is glorious. Yeah. They need a variety of different solutions at different times. And mm -hmm. that's what we need to understand. And that's what the entrepreneurs need to actually say. Yes. <laughs> what is it that you need? You know what I mean? And I think entrepreneurs must be more articulate about what they need and more aware of what they need before um, expecting other people to tell them what they need. Mm -hmm. Because we like to tell entrepreneurs what they need. Yeah. And they believe us. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they get it and then it's, but I'm still not making the money mm. because they themselves were unaware of what part of this chain of needs they needed. Yeah. I do yeah. think that we do need to have more platforms that will assist with market validation. So for instance, I'm a first generation entrepreneur and I just came up with a solution to a problem but it was kind of putting it into the market, putting money into my idea and not knowing whether or not it was working and or it wasn't structured in a way that investors or customers mm -hmm. actually understand it. Yeah. So for instance, now we've spoken about minimal viable product. I did not know what that was when I started my business. Yeah. I just entered the market being like, I'm passionate about this. Mm -hmm. This is what I want to do more of. Let me put it out into the market. But I didn't structure my business in such a way that when it started to scale, now I was trying to pick up the pieces and figure out how to you know, be able to run my business like a business. Yes, yes. So I would say that a little bit more training on how to run a business, what it looks like, legal. I mean, I've had clients where they still haven't paid me, but then if you look at the contract, it's not watertight enough. Mm. So it's simple stuff like that, like yes. the practical side of running a business. And also... Um, a lot of the times people create businesses that no one needs. Mm -hmm. Like these businesses mm -hmm. aren't really solving problems. Yes. And then they do complain like what Zuko said. And they're like, why is no one buying my products? Mm -hmm. Why is no one investing in me? Because no one wants what you're doing. Yeah. So I think it's just if, I mean, I would love to have someone tell me from the onset, this idea is not going to work. So that you don't waste more resources on it or so that you can pivot. Yes. So um, I definitely yeah. think that just a lot more training on how to run a business and even at a young age running parallel with your normal high school maths and science i mean i've never used pythagoras but i definitely i'm still like i mean there's stuff that i wish that i had learned that mm. i haven't learned yes. and that i'm still learning and i'm going online and i'm figuring it out um so yeah i think just creating that platform that's going to help people understand what is a business what does it look like it, it does. It does say a lot about how we need to to think about reconfiguring the, the syllabus in future. Yeah, because a lot of us wonder financial literacy, yeah. right? A lot of our yes, problems yes. in terms of you're working, you're not saving money, but you know you want to start a business in mm -hmm. five years. So yeah. where do you think the money is going to come from? So it's all about like reconfiguring our education system without necessarily cutting out a lot but just changing things slightly so that people can benefit from it yeah, yeah. but there's something everyone has spoken about now which is the voice of small businesses yes no one is if i asked you now yeah. who's the, Who voice is the voice of, of small businesses, small businesses? Yeah. no That's one knows question. no one knows we can claim that we talk for the smes that we we, we finance but Who's the actual voice of SMEs? And I think we need that voice so that we can coordinate all the efforts that are happening and make sure that we also hear what the, the, the business owners are saying are their challenges and what do they really need. And let's stop feeding 
them with products that they don't necessarily need. Yeah. I mean, I've been on so many incubator programs where I'm like, I know that you're just running this program to make money. <laughs> so, like, you're not teaching me anything new. To the point that I've really had to start telling incubators, I'm not going to do it because now I'm spending time in your incubator program where you're generating revenue, but I've done a business canvas about 10 times. Mm. I actually need answers to my questions. Yeah. So I do agree, like, what are the problems that SMEs are facing? And are we really actually speaking to those problems? Yeah. You know, I, I want to, to end with two questions, and I think I'm probably going to throw one one each at, at, the, at the both of you, Tuli and, and Zuko, to, to wrap up. First of all, Tuli, we're, we're raising kids in a country where they tend to believe they're going to grow up and work for somebody else. Uh, they, they, they are not necessarily in that entrepreneurial mindset yet. They're not necessarily being encouraged to express the creativity required to, to think of an idea that, that may be the, the subject of a business. How do we go about changing that mindset in young children? So when, when we started and got to the age of propeller as researchers, we understood that we were running a longitudinal study about the conditioning of the mindset of an individual yes. to be tuned towards entrepreneurship. The result of which we've been running for three years. So we've got our first cohort of kids that are, at, that are out of, of high school. Mm -hmm. And we can see them going into careers specifically to develop products for entrepreneurship. So we can condition the mind. Right. Our kids in the program will tell you upfront, I want to be a billionaire. Mm -hmm. And this is, these are township, these are kids in township schools. We've been with them for three years, some of them. But they are conditioned to be that way. They are malleable. Yes. That's the time where we need to get them even younger. I mean, we're doing a disservice by just servicing high schools. True. But we should go to primary school levels. But what we can definitely see is that our kids are very clear. And I mean, our, our program goes as far as to make them behave like business people. We'll make them create corporate identities. They've got names for their companies, logos for their companies. They've got designs for their companies. So they're very aware that they're entrepreneurs. When they start in the program, there are high school kids doing a science project. But by the time they've reached the, the end of the, of, the, of the whole program, which runs for a year, they are entrepreneurs. So the answer to that is, it's there, <laughs> you know? It's there, we, we've, we've got the data. What we need to see, like I said, it's a longitudinal study. So what we need to see is in five years, where are our kids? And then we can start presenting data that says, when you do this, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Now we can tell you the direction. We can tell you that we can see a mindset change. Yeah. We can tell you that. We can tell you that we also want our, because we're scientists, so we want our kids to go into the sciences. We can tell you that they choose almost exclusively science subjects. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, those are the things that we can measure right now. But in the future, we want to be able to say that these are the kids that went through the whole program and this is where they are. They are technology entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in any other space, delivering a service or, 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 or whatever the case may be. But the point is they are malleable mm -hmm. to that. They are happy to think about the prospects of being their own bosses and growing their communities where they are. You know, it doesn't necessarily appeal to them when you say to them, you can have an office in Santon. No, it doesn't appeal to them. Mm. They want offices where they are. Yes. So we need to try. They, they want to be able to be part of converting the township into urban township spaces because mm. that's where they are. That's where their people are, you know. So we can definitely change that mindset. We're changing it. That's fantastic yeah. to hear. I mean, it's so encouraging. The, the group I do worry about, Zuko, 
are the young people who've gone and knocked on all the doors and who are now so discouraged that they've stopped looking and, and they don't they don't see any options or any any way uh, out of this, the, the current situation they're in. What would be your message to those young people? You know, for me, if I really reflect about it, entrepreneurship is a privilege. Not everybody has the privilege of time. Not everybody has the privilege to only look after themselves. Not everybody has the privilege of, of, of skin color, of education, um, of skills. So in whatever way you look at it, I think it's a privilege to be an entrepreneur. So when I look at a lot of entrepreneurs or people that attempt to be entrepreneurs that fail for whatever reason, maybe they have to pay black tax, maybe they're unable to, to fully comprehend um, a market because they never studied anything along the sciences of business. Um, it is very discouraging. And, you know, people want to be entrepreneurs and they're forced back into the work world in what way uh, or shape. But uh, my message to entrepreneurs that have been pushed out of being entrepreneurs is to rethink their approach. And what I mean by this is my little secret with everything I do is I always make sure that I've got a strong cosign on all my projects. So I never studied finance, but when I realized that the issue and the challenge for entrepreneurs and SMEs was access to finance, and I wanted to be involved in that, I went to strong individuals like the likes of your Bonang Muhales, and I said to them, listen, I really think there's a good opportunity for a new type of fund mm -hmm. that can support entrepreneurs. Yes. Will you co-sign this idea with me so people don't think I'm an idiot when I speak to them mm -hmm. and would actually take some you know, time to, to, to listen and get me a foot in the door. So if you're an entrepreneur or trying to be an entrepreneur or being discouraged to be an entrepreneur, try find someone who's been in the space, not only to mentor you, but to also hold your hand in certain situations where they can co-sign and co-stamp it. So, I mean, if you're going into the likes of green buildings and you don't know anything, and then Vera is there in the meeting with you to say, you know what, um, person B, I know he's the director, he's the decision maker there, you should say one, two, three, four, and this is how it works with this company. So entrepreneurs should actually, you know, also open up their doors more if you've had the opportunity to actually be a, a mm. successful entrepreneur. Yes. Open up your doors to entrepreneurs that haven't because they don't have the privilege that you have in a way. And you can actually now also pass in that privilege in a way of networks, in the way of money, in the way of just understanding the ecosystem or the way to make a play you know what I mean yes, yes. so um, my only my only message out there is that vice versa can the entrepreneurs that have actually made some ground not be so cold to the people that are coming behind mm -hmm. them as well yeah, because yeah, it's unfortunate, but, you know, we close the door behind us immediately as we get in mm -hmm. and uh, we look for the next thing. And then, you know, when no one else helps us there, it's, you know, it's discouraging. But as guys that will actually get somewhere in this entrepreneurial journey, they're always pedantic and I won't, I'll, I'll take blame for this as well. I'm always, you know, anal about time, you know. Can I also give my time to Kuku to help her in her situation when I'm still trying to figure out my own, you know, likes and business? But I think it's, if we as entrepreneurs can just try give a leg up to the entrepreneurs that are coming behind us um, and understand that we're privileged to be entrepreneurs and we should pass this privilege on I think that should be a better way that we, we, we think about business and, and SMEs in general yeah 
fantastic speaking to all of you. Thank you Thanks. so much for your time. Tuli, uh, Zuko, Vera and Gugu. Lovely picking your brains. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, 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 Thanks. Thanks.